I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All right. Uh, let us begin with... You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us! Because they believe in us and what we're doing! I'm on the phone with every studio at night! Insurance companies! Producers! And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies! We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their because our industry is shut down. And you, <laughs> and you too, and you. You know, it's dude. I love it, <laughs> guys. Guys, we can't play this. We can't play it. What? Because yes, because that's a guy in a position of power who's talking dude, down to you. people. He's using his power dynamics, and it's just it's not okay. It's, it's you're not recycling. To to you're recycling that. my joke from earlier today. <laughs> Well, I just felt triggered because it just felt for me like like the way that you guys would yell at me when I first started. Lauren, guys, I, Lauren, I Lauren I've just been sitting here fuck. crying. Lauren, shut up. I, shut up. If you do that again, if you say that again on air, I swear to you're fucking gone. I, I swear to I swear to God, when I when I listened to this, I laughed in my head because I was like, I want to play this on the podcast. And then I laughed because I went, it's kind of like the way we talked to Lauren when we hired her. And, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously joking, but um, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise lost his fucking mind. Uh, God, wouldn't it like he's such an interesting human to begin with? It. What's so funny is like, I, I so does anybody think that that's weird from him? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think kind of because like, like, so here's the thing. Here's what I think. He. This is you know I've I've seen like so like m- m- news outlets are covering this and basically being like, whoa, Tom Cruise like. Um, uh, gets very, very like upset at 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 crew. Um, you know, like going against COVID protocols, and then and then there's there is a, a, you know Brian, you were you were being facetious, but the, there there is there is a whole group of people that are like, there's a group of people that are like, this is inappropriate because of the power dynamics of like a producer slash big Hollywood exec slash actor who is who's like talking shit to you know his employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, and then there's the people that are like, well, COVID, like he's got a point. COVID could fucking totally 
could potentially ruin this entire industry and at a huge project. But the thing that I find so interesting about it is like people comparing this to when, um, what's his name from Batman? Uh, Christian Bale. When Christian Bale. Bale lost his fucking mind on, on like a PA that was like, that was really just like mean, you know, he, he was clearly having a fucking bad day and he just snapped. Whereas like, well, I think Christian Bale also did that on the set of the machinist. And I'm pretty yeah, sure. He yeah. He was, was like, like, he was like a hundred pounds for that movie. Yeah. And he was borderline. But losing his mind. The, very the un- thing, very if I don't healthy. eat a meal, if I miss a meal, I'm cranky. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely Seriously. hangry. Um, but the thing with this, like Tom Cruise thing is like, you know, yes, he's yelling and yes, he's like, he's basically threatening that he'll fire people. But there's also this like, and it's so Tom Cruise, like if you've ever watched videos of him, of him talking like it, like of him, like basically like advocating for Scientology in those weird Scientology videos where he's like, he's talking about like what, like what they do as Scientologists to be the, the forefront of like of, of, of humanity. And like, there's like, there's this sort of like leadership element to the way he talks and, and kind of, he's kind of like that all the time. And even mm-hmm. in this like tire, t- like fucking just losing his mind on, on these people, he's still kind of like, like pulling that like leadership card being like, you know, like, like we, we are providing thousands of jobs and, and the entire industry is looking at us and we need to, we need to be, we need to show our best faces. And you're, you're like, oh, man, God, he really, like it. I, I was talking to my roommate Rich about it earlier. And I was like, could that have been planned? Like, could, like, could he have been, could he have uh, been like just kind of sitting back on it going, ah, this will be good for, this will be good for the movie. I'm just going to, I don't think man, I, for it. me, for me, it's like, that's yeah, a heat so of the heat of the <laughs> moment. Like, like you can just tell by like the impassioned way that it's coming out that it's like this guy, uh, this wasn't planned. And, and Hey, listen, he's an actor. So like, you know, there's always that part, part where piece of you where it's like, well, could it have been like a really great performance? But I, I would, is that how, is that how you feel about me, about everything that I do and say, as a good actor. Yeah. 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 That's what I mean. Like, are you, are are you just always like, (laughs) well, you know what? It could that, be an act. That could have been it. Yeah, Jeremy, that could yeah. have been a performance. Every when... single time, Jared, that you get emotional with me and you open up to me and you express your vulnerability, I'm like, yeah. ah, I don't mm. know, man. Maybe, Was that real? Maybe this is just really great acting. <laughs> but I mean, I, the thing with Tom Cruise is that he's he like, and don't quote me on this, but I'm it's, with the Mission Impossible movies. I'm almost certain. I'm pretty. Sh- I think he might own. Yeah, dude, he's be an yeah. owner in the production company. Yeah, yeah. he's he's movies, a massive so like, he's a massive exec. On top yeah, of being so like, the, the star, and he's not just a he's not just an actor that's like don't fuck up my movie because mm-hmm. I'm the star of the movie. He's like man, I got and he I I read that he put in he rented he he put up five hundred um, thousand thousand dollars to get the this like <clears throat> ship to have people isolate on so that everybody could be wow. like like know where there are and everything and like he's got he's not just. He's not just protecting a paycheck and it's obvious in the, in the recording. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's like, he's pissed. He's pissed that the people that he's seeing people take for granted the fact that they're working when the movie industry is like basically all non-existent and decimated. And the movie theater industry is like completely up in limbo. You've got Mm -hmm. HBO and Disney that are going, that are doing like, uh, or sorry, Disney and Warner Brothers that are doing straight to like HBO and straight to Disney Plus movies and prioritizing streaming and 
but theaters are fucked and like I mean, but it's he's just standing up for it. This is the, this is the whole thing about this, and and I originally this originally came, in a crazy way, I should say. But, but well, still, yeah, that's this, a, this originally came into my consciousness though through watching uh, Philip DeFranco talk about this, and he and he like sort of neatly laid out like the the two sides of this. Like there are some people who you know are praising Tom Cruise for saying this, and then there's a, a large camp of people that are like, well, the power dynamics. Like I was kind of. Um, poking fun at the beginning, but, but the thing is, and the thing that's very real about this is, and, and Taylor, the point that you were just kind of making is like, there's two parts of this that is, is playing on Tom Cruise's emotions, just like, um, this is affecting everybody. There's the emotional, I'm personally being affected and the emotional, we're all being affected at the same time. So like, it's ain't his that money, ju- ain't that just the thing with COVID? It's also it's, it's the, the whole s- I mean, that's, that's ev- state of affairs. That's what we, that's everything that we've all been going through, right? Like that right, is exactly <clears throat> like we have all been there in that, you know, it's like, it's like the other day I was in the grocery store and COVID's kind of like popping off here in Nova Scotia. And there was a dude that just like, you know, for no reason, just not wearing a mask. And it's Ugh, like, it's no. like, and Ugh. you know, like. You you, you kind of want to just be like, you know, personally for me, it's like, I want to be like, dude, fuck you. Like, there's no regard for human life here. Like this, you're put like, you're putting me at risk. But also. See, my thing is when I see people, else, you know, my, when I see people that aren't wearing masks, I just want, I just want to ask them the question in good, almost like, I don't know, maybe not entirely in good faith, but like, what's your, what's the medical reason you're not wearing one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would love to know because you're yeah. putting me and everyone else at risk. You fucking but, mouth breather. But also, I don't want is it. there <laughs> is there a medical reason to not be wearing there, a mask, or is that just some bullshit? No, that no, no, are no, 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 no. There, there, t- there, there are apparently, but but it's like super duper rare. We we should mm-hmm. we should ask uh, we should ask Daddy Big Daddy Doctor Daddy Strang what what that actually is. We should ask is. Big Daddy Strang. Yeah, and I and I, I didn't uh, I didn't bring this up on the show uh, yet, but I I don't care that i do um obviously i'm not going to mention any names but we had somebody uh write our yoga studio and basically like and basically this woman wrote us and was like hey um we're i'm going to like name you in a class action lawsuit because you're making me wear a mask which is a violation of my human rights and blah 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 blah." i mean we just wrote her back and was like yo you are we are very happy to not have you at our but business dude, because you clearly don't give a shit they're, about. They're humans, like so. they're they're copying and pasting shit that's being like. Um, oh, she's a chain, straight QAnon. That, that's coming from chain person. emails from like QAnon Facebook yeah. groups. Like it's literally. I mean, conspiracy she said theory, she sent us a follow up, like, which was weird. She kind of threatened to sue us at one point, and then like a couple weeks later, she was like, "Hey." If you want any help opening up a maskless studio, I'd yeah. be happy to help. And we were like, what this the fuck is- are you talking about? And she was like, you know what? Because the one world government and like these yeah. like yeah. cannibalistic pedophile, like uh, <laughs> our uh, government people are trying, are going to, are trying to take away your freedom and all this. And we were just like, I mean, we didn't respond to that. Yeah, one. It's, it's, a, just, it's that weird sovereign citizen but, type stuff that, that also, that yeah, also spills, like, what are you spills over dude? into like weird uh, conspiracy theory shit. But really, and, not surprising but like, you're not going to take her up on that because I would think you would love the chance to open like yeah. a conspiracy theory QAnon <laughs> flat earth or <laughs> yeah. yoga studio, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It know, could be right? a great know, little spinoff. Because that's, like, <laughs> that's right up my alley. I but mean, yeah. like, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in all those lists. She, <laughs> she would do much better going to that, that barbecue place up in, up in Ontario, the, I just uh, what I don't understand is like how those people and like I know that the, like I, not specifically I mean was I mean the mask thing 
And like anybody who's walking around thinking that like, I mean, we've talked about this at, at fuck ad nauseum about people talking about the government controlling you because of mass is like, dude, they got your social security number. They, their social insurance number, they know everything. Like you have, you have houses registered in your name. You have credit cards, you got cars, you got all this shit. Like, believe me, the government knows enough about you. It has nothing to do with the mask, but it's like, it's what's crazy is that there are people out there that can hold these beliefs and still be for the most part, regularly functioning, functioning citizens, Ooh. like people, they make money. Yeah. They got jobs that actually pay them. Like, yeah. And they, they, they might have families, Dude, like people that 50% like have relationships 50% with. percent of the United insane. States. Like, fi- like, I don't like understand almost, the crossover Almost 50% though. of the United States voted for Trump. Like there's, I can't, there's, I can't like, I can't <clears throat> get why, I can't get how somebody can think these things, but then also like function normally in these other realms that, mm. Like I just, it doesn't compute yeah. to That's, me. Whenever I want to feel bad about my own financial situation and where I'm at in life, I think of those people and I go, dude, they're just outperforming me. That's really mm. sad. And then I just get really bummed out. Um, they're outperforming you? What do you mean? Like think, think about people like that, that, that like hold down well-paying jobs. Like you look at, oh, yeah. you know, like <laughs> people who are getting like, who like might be driving really nice cars and own really big houses and think like that. And you're like, damn, how did they do it? Like, I feel like I have like a decent level of self-awareness and, you know, I try to look at the big picture and think about things from both perspectives and be objective. And, and I mean, and it, it speaks just, to the gamified know, nature of like, I the just system, host a podcast. You know? like, <laughs> if you know how to play the game, if you know how to play the game, it really doesn't matter. Like how good of a person you are, how intelligent actually so like, sad. Yeah. And how intelligent easy. of a person See? you are. That's yeah, what I mean. Easy, it bums you out. Yeah, and how easy it is uh, to spread misinformation these days because that's the thing. Like, I think that like pe- these people are smart, and I think that you know a lot of people are skeptical, but it's just skepticism brought to a degree mm. that's a little bit, shall we say, too far. Yeah, pandemic, mm. dude. Pandemic. Twenty twenty. The the thing I want to say about Tom Cruise though, and and like <clears throat> you know, I I am in the camp of like, hey, fuck, that's good that he did that because I think it's an important thing, and like the you know the net gain of that um incident occurring i think is is more positive than it is negative mm. but mm-hmm. i do think you know just to say it i think that there's probably a more rational yeah. approach that you can take to that conversation yeah, yeah that, you i mean can probably get your point no one no one, way. no one deserves <laughs> no, again like no one deserves to be to be no one deserves to be yelled at like that. I mean, like, no. I'm sure, and I'm sure the thing that happened again, we don't, we don't have all the facts, but I'm sure the thing that happened on the set really could have warranted just like pulling someone aside and going, what the fuck, dude? Like, put your fucking mask on. You're putting this entire thing at risk. Don't pull this shit again. And then, you know, like putting out a memo to the fucking crew the next Maybe day. Maybe even lose the fucks. Be, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, who knows? I, I mean, he, he did he did say the word fuck a lot. So I, I'm, which uh, he, he was very angry. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yes, uh, no one deserves to be yelled at. However, uh, just don't be an asshole. Uh, here is something that, I, you know, Feel Good Friday, we're trying to keep keep the spirits high. And actually, we are, we are going to fuck. I'm feeling real good about this Friday's Feel Good Friday episode. Dr. Cindy Blackstock, uh, what a guest. Uh, so mm. excited mm. for you to uh, hear this, uh, this really, really wonderful, really fun guest. But before we get to that, this is something that made me feel good on Friday when I read this article. Uh, from the independent.co.uk from is it, Leo is it Sendrowitz. Uh, it is, is not is it re- related to, to meat. Uh, it is definitely related meat. to meat. A lot of meat. 
Is it? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, wow. Um, it How is uh, 52, 52, uh, 52 people's amount of meat. Uh, the, uh, the, the, wow. the title here, Belgian police break up 52-person orgy oh. in, a, <laughs> in, a, in a house next door to a COVID clinic. Huh. All the people. Okay, the the subheading is so funny to me. All the people taking part in the sex party were French. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? You know, do you say that this is in Belgium? It, uh, it it took place in Belgium, and this is a uh, a UK. Well, there's a heavy it's a UK article, a, so I feel like there's there's a I, it's. I mean, I like to well, assume there's heavy, that there's a UK um, dig there of them being like, and of course, there's a heavy French. divide between between the French and the Flemish. Uh, in in Belgium, I wonder if uh, I wonder if there's some. I wonder if the, the person who wrote it is probably of a uh, uh, Flemish uh, descent. Exactly, that's yeah. what that was going to be my question. Do you like French Belgian or French from France? Ooh. That's right. Yeah. Belgian yeah. police this weekend broke up a 52 person sex party at a house in front of a COVID clinic just two weeks after an all male orgy in Brussels ended the career of an anti gay Hungarian MEP. MEP is like a kind of like our. our um, M- Hold on, MPs. anti-gay. So he, he's anti-gay, he, he, but he was in an all-male he, orgy. Yeah, he's kind of a piece of shit Hungarian po- politician yeah. who's anti-gay, and he got he got uh, his career ended after he got uh, caught at, a, at an all-male gay orgy. Um, Why does it always seem to go down like I, that? It's pretty common. <laughs> Why are all the people who are who are like Adamant, vocally yeah, anti-gay yeah, those, all it's called internalized all homophobia? Yeah, <laughs> and, and they're, they're in denial and they're trying to push away their own like. Uh, internalized desires which is just wild is he not in is he not in constant fear that that every dude that he sleeps with is like yo fuck you man they probably don't sleep uh, with a lot of guys I because mean, they're so in denial well, of well it. also he's he's hungarian and he was he was at an orgy in brussels so he's probably not doing it in his hometown uh we'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. say, say it's safe to say police raided a 28th birthday party hell yeah what a birthday party in the early <laughs> of sunday in the Ardennes town of Saint Mard, in the southeast corner of the country, just two miles from the border with France, all the people taking part, including escort girls, were French. They were described as naked or lightly dressed when the twenty-strong police squad raided the party. Dude, a fucking SWAT bus in on a sex party. This is great. The police find each of them the standard, and this is pretty low. Uh, I was surprised. 200 euro 250 euro fine for failing to comply with anti coronavirus measures. If you, you did that here, that's it. That's, that's that is $1000 per person. $52,000. Do you party. think do you guys think that when do you think anybody in the party when the police kicked in the door was like, "Oh yeah, Police officers are showing up. <laughs> this is role play. Sweet. Yeah, we got wow, more guys God. coming in here. Do you, you really, think anybody you didn't, thought You didn't that? go for that typical police officer uh, <laughs> orgy look. You went for that that realism. <laughs> yeah, that sort of riot yeah. gear realism. That gun looks, that gun looks so real. Yeah. Uh, two of them were also fined for possession of narcotics <laughs> and laughing gas capsules. Uh, sounds like they were having a real fun time. Francois Coulot, the mayor of the local commune of Verton, said he was outraged at the party, which took place at a villa just a few steps from the entrance of the Edmund Jacques Clinic. Quote, I am angry. Some people really don't respect anything. Organizing an illegal party in the middle of the night in front of the clinic where COVID patients are treated, this is unacceptable. Um, Mr. Coulot pointed out that it was just a week earlier that Vertron's hairdressers protested the rule that forced them to close their salons, putting their livelihood at stake. 
Uh, yeah, so... They decided to <clears throat> just wanted to fuck the protest fuck. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's like, <clears throat> just, we're coming up to the holidays here, folks, and I know, I know the urge is strong to throw those Christmas orgies, but please mm-hmm. just consider um, when you when you hold that 52-person Christmas-themed, Hanukkah-themed orgy at mm-hmm. your uh, condo, Eight crazy nights of orgies. You yeah, are, don't yeah. ho 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 it up. <laughs> yeah, you are putting you are putting your community at risk, and uh, it's not worth it. Just save you, save it. Just not don't have an orgy until at least I'm guessing winter of 2021. Now, guys, I just want to I just want to play devil's advocate here. Do we really? Can we really be sure that they weren't planning on isolating and having that orgy for two weeks straight? We can't. You are right, Brian. We we actually that is this is, this is a true. very good point. We do not know if this was the case, and they if they were all self isolating together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that was the plan. And yeah. and you know, we I just I'm just saying we shouldn't be so quick to judge. We shouldn't. You are right. And um, I'm actually going to go back and cut out this entire segment because I think that okay, perfect. We yeah, I think we should probably take this out. So I'll yeah. go back and cut that out. Uh, that way we don't. I feel really bad now. I feel bad that we, yeah, right. that we yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those people, they they actually could have been. They could have been. You know, they would have been. They fifty two people, one place. They could have been like, hey, we've got two weeks. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. just start it now. Let's all get. Let's all get naked. Yeah. Yeah. Like the uh, Thai, like the Thai king. And they were probably yeah, right, they were right. probably doing it right outside of the COVID clinic in case, just in case right. any one of them Heaven got forbid. sick in Heaven isolation. Forbid. Then they could just you know quickly go to the clinic and get uh-huh. tested. Yeah. To ensure the safety of everybody else that was isolating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're right. There's some good we'll intentions it. here. It's fine. We'll cut. We'll it. get rid of it. Yeah, we don't need that. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of fun, fun, fun things happening all around the world, even in in uh, in in the face of a goddamn global pandemic. So anyway, I'll just like segue. We'll pretend <clears throat> that we're going straight from the Tom Cruise bit into the Cindy Blackstock conversation sure, here, so we can just yeah, cut right that, into that. Mm-hmm. That would be mm-hmm. actually really great. Um, okay. Uh, so anyway, want- Tom Cruise, that was crazy, right? Yeah, wow. I know. Yeah, right? yeah no, one, no one deserves to be talked like that. Hey, you know what's really fun? We're going to be talking to Cindy Blackstock, and we want to throw it to that conversation because it is remarkably very similar to Tom Cruise. Um, uh, wait, what? <laughs> Cindy, she didn't remind. <clears throat> she did not. She didn't remind you of. She did not remind me of a. Uh, I thought she brought that energy just like Tom. You know yeah. what? Yeah, actually, now now that I think about it, she is very bubbly, and she does, and and Tom is a very energetic human. Uh, mm. So I see what your point there, but I, I think I didn't see your point from the uh, from the outrage and the weird Scientology kind of thing that he has going on. Yeah, I mean, besides that, like yeah. if you take that and remove yeah. it, yeah, there's Though, actually some striking similarities. I would I would say that her work <laughs> that she does with um, Indigenous youth. Is it sort of like was it Mission Impossible when she took it on? Actually, but she's yeah. really you know here we go. She's really just been really <laughs> making inroads and 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 her advocacy really making work the is case really just very impressive yeah. all around, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah that, I mean, at some point, somebody would have said your mission. Should you choose to accept it? Yeah, someone could have save Indigenous someone youth. Someone could have said that this message will self destruct. Uh, Cindy Blackstock was a wonderful guest. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, because we most certainly did. Um, and uh, yeah, always love talking to social workers. They're, they just bring a, mm. a really lovely perspective to everything. Yeah. So enjoy this, and uh, we will be back on the other side of it. 
Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, here we are uh, all together sitting down with our new friend, Cindy, Cindy Blackstock. Um, Cindy, I'm going to I'm going to start the the podcast. I think what, what's s- s- has shortly become my favorite way of starting the podcast when we're speaking to people with that have a doctor, a DR in front of their name. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you this. Are you a clinical doctor or are you a smart person doctor? No, I'm neither. I, uh, you know, I, I actually, I have a PhD, but I tell you, you know, it's important, but I've learned so much from people of all different diversities. I find wisdom in every corner. And I'm so blessed to, you know, be learning from people, having people call me out when they need to, and uh, just supporting me on this learning journey. So now don't come to me for a Band-Aid, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, yeah, well, I, you know what, that, that was a pretty, that was a pretty, uh, that was a pretty intelligent response, I think. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I mean, I'm just going to go, you're, you sound like a pretty smart person doctor to me. But, uh, but Cindy, I know that you've, you have done a a ton of work in the world of social work, um, specifically social work experience in child protection and indigenous children's rights. Um, okay, so I, I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll I'll follow up with this question. So I, as someone who I live with cystic fibrosis, and every every six months I go into clinic, and the way that clinic works for me is I sit down in this office and I'll have the you know the respirologist come in, and I'll have the psychologist come in, and the di- dietitian comes in. And I know all of their jobs. I know what they all do. Mm-hmm. And then every single time, I'll have the social worker come in. And I'm always like, what do you do? <laughs> what, what is, like, what are you, how do you, how do I relate to you? What's, how does this work within the, the, the context of clinic? So uh, my question for you, which I'm sure there's at least one other person out there with this burning question, uh, what, what is social work for people who are unfamiliar? Well, um, for in the clinical social work, it's really about supporting people with their social needs that go beyond the medical needs that are really important. But we all need to be able to kind of pay our our rent. We need to kind of have get access to good foods and personal wellness. All of that stuff, social workers can help bridge into those services. I'm not that kind of social worker, though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm the type of social worker that really sees social work as standing in the winds of injustice and discrimination in the company of those for whom that is a daily a daily existence of moment-by-moment existence. And my job, as I see it, is to try and mobilize social movements and, in my case, litigation to make the discrimination stop. And give these people a chance to be able to live the lives they wish to have. Mm-hmm. I think one of the words to describe you would be an advocate. And you've certainly had a, a, a successful uh, career in advocacy up until this point. Um, Cindy, I, I listened to your interview on, I first came across your work on the interview you did with Rosanna Deerchild on Unreserved. Oh. And I've listened to that uh, conversation a, a few times because I was so, I felt so empowered and inspired by hearing you talk, and the way that you described the work that you do just then, um, it, it makes me think like, is this a person that was born knowing that they had this purpose in life, or like how did you come, how did you come about f- 
finding out that you had this ability to like create this change? Because I think a lot of people see challenges and see inequalities and injustices in this world. And they, they think, yeah, not, it, it sucks that that is the way that it is, but not me. I can't fix that. But mm. you, you do, you have fought back against that. Like, where does that come from? And is that something that you felt like you were, you were born with? Well, I come from the uh, not me, don't, I can't fix it crowd. I mean, I grew up, my first job was in the bush at four years old. I was a pine cone picker. I uh, went to school and I hated public speaking. I was terrified of it, Brian. Mm -hmm. I transferred out of every course in university wherever it said pre presentation. That's how I chose my <laughs> courses that I go to. And when I saw that first, when I became a social worker, a child protection worker, and I saw First Nations kids getting less of everything and being judged as if they get more, I couldn't believe it that this was still happening. Even though I was First Nations myself and I visited the reserve, you know, sometimes the discrimination is the things you don't see, right? Mm -hmm. What's not there that everybody else has? Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely convinced someone had to do something. And I was absolutely equally convinced it wasn't me, not mm -hmm. me, right? Mm -hmm. There's somebody out there, smarter, knows what they're doing, mm -hmm. can help these kids. And I'm just going to hold it down and just kind of deal with, uh, with the, the work I'm doing in the best way possible and wait for this person to appear. <laughs> and so that's what I did. That was a completely useless approach. But, and then the final. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. Keep going. And then I finally, it finally dawned on me. You know, I read this poem that, that my aunt gave me by Patrick Overton, which says, when you come across that place where light leads into darkness, there's something solid to stand on or you'll be taught to fly. So I thought, well, I might as well give it a shot. I mean, I'll, I'll try. Mm -hmm. And you know, the thing is, Brian, is when you make decisions about getting involved, we often think that we're going to be alone on the other side, that it all depends on us. We need to have the answers before we step across that lane, that line. What I learned as soon as I stepped across there, all kinds of good people were there. And I myself started asking people in my circle different questions for advice. I had conversations with my mom and with my friends that I'd never had before in all my life. And it was kind of just spurred on by this real desire to try and make sure First Nations kids got an equal shot in life. Mm -hmm. I, I well, noticed that um, I, I, I listening to the listening to the uh, the interview that Brian was referring to on uh, on Unreserved. Um, the first the first the very first thing that really like jumped out at me was this this tangible this tangible inequality that you that you saw like, yeah. you know, I feel like there's I feel like there's so much there's so much inequality and discrimination that is sort of under the skin, if you will, and intangible and in the way that people are treated and things. And then that, and, and then you, you gave this example of, well, I saw in social work off reserve that this was being provided. Mm. And then mm -hmm. I went and, you know, you gave the example of, I think, um, a child with cerebral palsy CB, CP, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. that, and it was like, Hey, this person, this, this child needs this equipment. And I saw off reserve someone get it. And I saw on reserve them not. And, and when it's something is so, and that, that is so obviously tangible, it's right there in front of you. This person does, this person doesn't. How, how do you, what, what kind of jumped to my mind was, was 
I, 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 in my head, I oversimplify it in the way that, in the way that I imagine that you could then go, Hey, but here's this precedent where you gave it. And so what, so how does that not apply in this situation? I know that it's more complicated than that. And I know that there's a lot more red tape and government, whatever that you have to go through. Like how, how, like how many examples of those types of things are, are, are you seeing that or like how, how much did that have to, did you, how many times did you have to see that before this like calling that you said, like to cross that line without having the answers before you sort of felt like enough is enough. I have like, I have to be that person. Yeah. You know, uh, that's an important point, Taylor. I had seen those children being treated differently. And I worked on reserve and just across the street was North Vancouver. That's where I worked off reserve. Mm. So like, I thought, how can it be any different? Right. <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. across the street. And what a lot of people and what I didn't really appreciate at the time is that the federal government funds all public services on reserve. And since Confederation, they have underfunded every single one of those services. Another thing, when you think about reserves, first of all, that's racist anyway. It comes from the Indian Act, right, is pushing First Nations onto the poorest properties of land. Mm. And the reserve boundaries, unlike our municipalities, they've never expanded since like the 1800s. So you get right. severe overcrowding, you get Ooh. no services or very inadequate services. And then what I saw, like just even this last week, I don't know if you guys were watching on Twitter, but there's a First Nations boy who comes from a First Nation in Northern Ontario that's been under a boil water advisory for 25 years. Whoa. There's no water now, the system has gone down. He feels as a child, he has to make a video and say this. He says, we are not animals. We're human. That's in Ooh. 2020. And I've seen Ooh. so many stories like that, where I've seen children being treated by the government of Canada as if they're not worth the money. And that's not just in one area. It's not just in school. It's not just in early childhood. It's not just in recreation. It is across the board. And then what is really kind of sickening to me is when I hear the politicians talk, they want First Nations to be thankful to them, right? Even though they haven't remedied the inequality and they put out these excuses like it's too complicated to treat First Nations kids equally, et cetera. They want us to be thankful for the incremental equality. But what it is, is ongoing discrimination. And as I started to see these stories and be able to follow the breadcrumbs back to the Parliament Hill, that's when I thought, this is ridiculous. Mm. Like every child in this country, regardless of their background, is sacred to me. And what I couldn't tolerate is the idea that this group of children were being told no, or you get less, or hold on, you got to wait because of your race. And what I saw the kids doing is they they hadn't followed the breadcrumbs back to Parliament Hill. So all they knew was life was a lot harder for them. And so what do they think? They think like any kid or young person does. Well, it has to be about me. I must be the problem. I must not be smart enough. I must not be trying hard enough. I must not be worth it. And then, so it's no surprise we see the tragic suicide rates, the overrepresentation of young people in child welfare and juvenile justice. That is a predictable outcome of Canada's really what I feel is an apartheid service regime. 
Mm. Yeah, and then and then you look at you know even further down the road um, for for those who who survive long enough to to grow into uh, to have an adulthood. Uh, like what what kind of what kind of life does does one end up leading if your entire childhood you felt as though you were inadequate or you felt as though you weren't enough or you felt as though you weren't, you know, you weren't cared for by your, your, your country, by the people that are leading you. Yeah. It's it's kind of, it has two effects, right? One is this inequality makes you more prone to have a hard time. And then when you're having a hard time, the inequality means the help isn't there to help you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and when you're, you know, I was having this conversation the other day and with a, with a, a training that I'm offering right now. And, and, um, we were talking about, we were talking about how we were talking about this, this philo- uh, some philosophical things about how we can teach ourselves and learn through you know a bunch of different practices how to look at look at our lives through like a really objective lens and to and to try and separate the influences that we have that are placed upon us to try and see like clearly and think clearly and make objective decisions and so on and so forth. But and we started talking about um, you know childhood and how when we're children, we don't have like, it's, I mean, next to impossible to, to view life through an objective, you know, uninfluenced lens because we just, children just don't have the tools. So when you are, even if you can, even if you have the opportunity to grow up and, and learn the skills in order to view, you know, life through this objective lens, like growing up and then understanding later in life, Hey, these things that these these things that I feel are not, they're not my fault. They're not, they're not, it's not, it's not, it's like, it's, it's about, it's a whole bunch of factors that are, that have accumulated over my, my lifetime and started way before I was born and have been influencing me since then. Even if you know that by that, mm. by, by an adult, it doesn't matter because you spend yeah. your childhood not knowing and the influence that that has yeah is so great. And, and oftentimes, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for that to be, to to not be able to overcome that in, in, in a lot of different ways in like in your work in social, in social aspects and financial aspects and in, you know, in tons of different ways. And, And we see that obviously through, um, you know, communities all over, all over the country, um, where you see this and it's, and, um, I want to, I want to ask you, Cindy, something that has stood out to me so far and, and in, in, in your interview, I couldn't help but think, uh, with, um, on unreserved is that you have a, you have a, like a jovial smiling nature to you that is quite infectious and, and you do some heavy work and something that we put a lot of emphasis emphasis on on this show is like seeing seeing the light and seeing and and yeah. talking about hard stuff and stuff that sucks and stuff that we wish wasn't the way that it was um but finding that lightness in that how how do you do that is that a natural thing for you is it something you consciously do is it something that you work on um yeah what does that mean to you Well, the children really taught me that, you know, like they reminded me, you can't build a social movement on anger and tears, right? Any social movement has to be based on a, on a foundation of love. And when we love each other, 
Even though we may think differently, we love each other to gift each other with what we see as our truth. And to believe that the other person on the other side, if they knew what was going on and they had an opportunity to do better, they would do better. You know, and the big thing that's been so inspiring for me is when we've been litigating against the Canadian government, because we took the Canadian government to court 14 years ago now to address the inequalities, we're still litigating towards equality <laughs> for First Nations kids. Um, but in the courtroom, we actually created this campaign called I Am a Witness. And what we were hoping is that caring Canadians of all diversities would show up in the courtroom, right? And they would tell the government, look, this isn't fair. you got to fix this. Because the government says it's representing all of us. That's the other crazy thing. They think they're somehow defending us against a generation of kids being treated properly, which is crazy. But anyway, um, very few adults actually came at first. But children filled that courtroom. It was amazing. In 2009, this group of high school students show up. This young man tells me he's from alternative school, which means he gets into trouble a lot. And I say, good, so do I, right? Because let's face it, you know, getting into trouble for doing bad things is for amateurs, right? Getting into trouble for doing the right thing, that takes hard work and smarts, right? And they were there to do that. They knew that sometimes they deserved it as individuals. But a lot of times it's the systems that really bear down on people unfairly. And they saw that we were trying to fix that and they wanted to be a part of it. So by 2012, so many, uh, they brought their younger brothers and sisters and so many kids were in the courtroom that we had to book them in in shifts. And they weren't just coming to learn about the story. They were coming to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So they wrote letters to the prime minister. They wrote letters to their members of parliament. They wanted to grow up in a world where um, Canada isn't defined by the generations of children it leaves behind. Mm -hmm. And it was it's so uplifting for me to see these kids. And many of them are continuing to advocate even now that they're young adults and a new generation of younger kids are coming along. Kids understand fairness at age two. You know, imagine the world we could create if we really started teaching children as much about celebrating difference, honoring uh, people who are of uh, differing views and of differing, uh, differing cultures and uh, differing races than us, and really equipping them with the tools to stand up against injustice from the earliest ages. I don't think we'd see a nutcase like Trump ever elected again. And um, I think we would leave the world in a better place and I'd raise a generation of young people equipped to advocate for one another. Mm, that's really beautiful. So that's what keeps me going. That, that, that and bath bombs and cheesies. <laughs> of course. I, was, I, I, I tell you, it's a secret. Like, you got to get the Hawkins cheesies, though, cheesies, right? Like, yeah, don't cheap out yeah. on the crunches. Like, wow. you got to get yourself a bag of those. those good puff, I'm telling those you, it'll good, get you through anything. Yeah, those good puffy cheesies. Those, I, that's where it's at. Cindy, I feel like yeah. every time I, I hear you talk, my, my eyes just sort of well up with tears because I just feel like it just, that just cuts so deep with me and th- that like it, it, it is really embracing what makes kids kids like they're yeah. they all love each other they don't see yeah. each other as being different or if they do they respect each other's differences and and it, it's the reason why I was so excited to talk to you but I'll stop gushing because I, I wanted to ask you about the First Nations uh, Child and Family Caring Society how did how did that come to be was that sort of born out of this this idea that if you wanted to see change, you had to 
you know, be one of the people to step up and start to to lead that change? It was born out of desperation. By this time, <laughs> I was working at a provincial organization in BC for First Nations, training social workers because they really weren't getting what they needed to know to work in First Nations communities and university at that time. And um, I had seen these inequalities. I was trying to do what I could uh, to address them. And I thought, I bet you there's other people out there who know a lot more than I do. And so um, I ran into this uh, group from what's called West Region Sheldon Family in uh, Manitoba, fabulous organization, at a conference in the U.S. And I just glung to them like Velcro. You know when you got somebody who you think has got the answer to all your prayers? (laughs) And then I said, there's got to be other people out there I can cling to. So we, back in the day, we literally got on our fax machines. We didn't even know if there was a national organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and we said to people, look, we have zero money, uh, but if you're interested, come to a gathering in North Vancouver. And the Squamish Nation, for whom I was uh, working with then, generously offered us their town hall. And uh, in came 40 people from all over Canada, and that's how the Caring Society was born. And then we topped it off, like we figured, well, we can't just have a meeting there in Vancouver and, and do it. We have to create the bylaws. And we went to Kingsclear First Nation in New Brunswick, and uh, we held a meeting there, and they had the most legendary ethically sourced lobster feast. I tell you, that thing goes down as a legend in First Nations country. (laughs) And from there, the Caring Society was born to do two things. One is to support people who are doing good work on the ground uh, with real tools that make a difference for children. And the second was to deal with this inequality. Mm-hmm. We realized back then is if you were a, a service provider to First Nations kids and you challenged Canada, um, there was retaliation attached to that. Uh, the reports were that your funding was cut, that grant wasn't there, and that affected kids. So the Caring Society was created really to, to take that on, hopefully to get Canada to end the inequalities voluntarily, but if not, to be the lightning rod for that retaliation. And that's exactly what happened. Within 30 days of filing the case, we lost all of our government money. But um, we didn't know if we would survive that stepping across the line, but we did. And now I don't think they know what to do with us because (laughs) we survived, right? We're the only First Nations, Métis, or Inuit organization that's national and gets no money from the government Mm. other than what they're ordered to pay us through the litigation. There Mm. there was some some advice that an elder gave you that you mentioned on on the Unreserved episode. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, when we're creating this organization, um, you know, we're speaking to elders and this one elder comes up to us and he says, we were so excited because we finally got a phone number for the organization, right? Like this to us was a breakthrough after all these years of planning. And we were talking about it and he walks up and he says, never fall in love with the Caring Society and never fall in love with your business card. Only fall in love with the children because there may come a day when you have to sacrifice both those things for them. Mm. And that is really, really true, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, something I think about a lot is the concept of moral courage, which is in Western society, we reward physical courage when someone's courageous, but we often punish moral courage. You know, that person who stands up and t- is, uh, might take a personal or professional risk for actually doing the right thing, but does it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the elder was really telling us, is that we had to be morally courageous and that we had to be prepared to sacrifice both the organization 
and our own professions if, if necessary, because every single one of those kids is worth it. They're absolutely worth the sacrifice. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. Something that's really striking for me is that like, and something that I think I, I personally have taken for granted is that this battle is against the Canadian government and yeah. the Canadian government is something that I've seen for the majority of my life is something that protects me, that stands up for my voice and is a representation of me, but it, it's hard to hear that there's a large group of Canadians who don't feel that way who who the government is is you know sort of working in opposition to what has that challenge been like it's been crazy i still don't get it like i you know yeah. i don't understand why the federal government would continue in 2020 to literally deploy yeah, the, some of its best resources to fight against first nations kids being treated fairly mm. And the other thing it does is it's a ton of huge injustice, it seems to me, to non-Indigenous people by weaving this narrative that First Nations get more and, um, oh, they're just not using the resources properly, right? That's kind of the narrative they feed into. And I think by doing that, they've really deprived people of the truth. They haven't trusted the public enough with the truth, which is that the First Nations are getting less. And for confirmation of that, you can go to legal decisions, the Auditor General, the Parliamentary <clears throat> Budget Officer, the reports are endless. But they've also deprived that generation of people of a chance to make a difference. When I go talk to Canadians, doesn't matter if it's in a conservative district or a liberal district or in the middle district, people are just shocked that these kids are getting less. They just cannot believe it. Like, this is the kind of stuff that we stood up against in South Africa. And yet Canada is still doing okay. it here. And we still have this crazy Indian Act. Like, mm. what's that all about, right? Mm. So... Yeah, it's been really, really hard. And I, I actually think, like, I talk to the government, and sometimes they say, oh, well, you got to help us bring the public on board. And I, I always tell them, no. I said, the public is already on board. It's you guys that are way behind. What is you know? The, I don't see Canadians protesting because we're giving kids wheelchairs, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What, and what is and and I'm 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 thinking of like what is the what is the motivation of the government to to oppose the is it is it a because uh, my first my first thought is is the government doesn't want to admit that yeah. they've been doing something that but, but then I think then then I think of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and I think well f man they've admitted some pretty gnarly stuff in with that so what is the so what is the what is the motivation behind not admitting that this has been going on? Um, I mean, it's I, I and I don't want to trivialize I don't want to trivialize the, I don't want to trivialize your work and what you do, um, but in relation to the 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 horrors of 
of um like the the um uh man why am i having such a brain fart right now the residential uh, residential schools it's it's like this seems very this seems much more simple than that in my in my eyes and i don't know and i don't know if i'm right in thinking that but it seems like why yeah, so like the solution you need, you need is a much more, more simple, or? yeah, a much more simple fix. Like this, yeah, this, yeah. It, it, like when when Cindy, when you said earlier in the conversation, you said something about you know when you hear politicians say, "Well, it's just it's just too complicated to help children yeah. in this in that way." Like those words coming out of your mouth, I went, how do, "I'm how? sorry, <laughs> what? Like exactly? Who, what? What silly goose is standing like is saying that with a straight face? Like who? Who is thinking that? Like how is? Why? How? How is this? How is this bullshit still going on? Well, that's a million dollar question. Yeah, and what what Taylor's pointing out is important. Government after government's been willing to get up and apologize for things that another government did in the past, or even their right. own party did in the past. But it's a right. whole different ball game to say, "Look, I am the one who's responsible here." Mm. And as uh, if I want to end this, I have to own it as a government and as a leader in government or as a public servant in government, and I've got to then take the steps to address it. Mm-hmm. That's the that's where they mm-hmm. tend to fall off, mm-hmm. and they uh, they've got this persona about themselves. I think as looking after everybody, and you you know they don't see themselves as racially discriminating. But what, what they don't get is it's not about what they don't see; it's about what these child children experience. It's about a little boy having to get up in 2020 and say, "I'm not an animal. Mm-hmm. I'm a human being. I want a glass of water." Mm. to the government and feels he has to say that that's what they should be having their eye on the ball for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what they continually miss. And mm-hmm. what's interesting about residential schools is back in 1907, they had a chance to fix this entire mess. There was a doctor and who became the chief medical health officer of the Indian department. And he linked the dramatic inequalities for, for what were called Indian kids with the de- high death rates in the residential schools of 25% a year or half a, half of the population of the schools over three years. And he said, came back to Ottawa, he said, fix this, right? Give these kids a fair shot and implement measures. And now these are going to sound familiar. Don't put sick people in with healthy people. Improve the ventilation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make sure there's proper sanitation. He said, do these things. You can save all these kids' lives. It would have cost ten to $15,000 to fix it out of a budget of $100 million, and the Canadian government said no. Mm. And one of the, it actually was carried in the newspapers because people were so up in arms back in that. And one guy who's a lawyer, Samuel Hume Blake, read the newspaper, and he said the famous quote that I think actually applies today. He said, in that the government of Canada fails to obviate the preventable causes of death. It brings itself into unpleasant nearness with manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So was, governments, in my view, don't create change. They respond to change. And that's why the public's so important. And was, right, was the doctor, right. Dr. Blake at that? Dr. Or, Bryce. Bryce, Dr. Yes. Bryce. Um, Blake was the lawyer. The, the, it's, it's one of the wild things about that was that there was the, um, the, the creator of the residential schools at the same time was talking about people oftentimes look back at that time and say, well, it was just the times back then. 
But yeah. then you have these opposing voices from those times who are were loudly saying then, like, this is problematic. This is an injustice. And the other person's voice sort of prevailed at the time. And it it, it was as wrong then as it is now, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Yeah, exactly. We heard that with the removal of John A. Macdonald's statue in Montreal, right? Mm -hmm. And, oh, well, you guys are just applying today's moral standards back to John A. Um, well, there were actually uh, 50, uh, tens of thousands of people in Quebec who took to the streets to protest the rigged trial and the wrongful death of Louis Riel. As he, there were so many people marching that uh, Macdonald himself said that uh, he shall hang, that being Riel, shall hang, and every dog in Quebec shall bark. So somehow we erased all these people of good conscience who saw that this was completely wrong and were taken to the streets to demonstrate and not calling them people of the period. So we got this weird thing, a way that we look from history. And I think it's an essential question we need to ask ourselves is what do we learn from the past? And also what does our government learn from the past? Because I don't think it's learned very much. Mm -hmm. What do you, in today's, in, you know, the last, especially I think in the last five years, there has been a, a rise in, and I think, it, I think it really coincides with, I don't think it's that it wasn't there. I think it coincides with the rise of social media. There's been, um, you know, a massive, massive uprising in the voices for social justice and, um, and sort of like, I don't know, I guess from where I'm sitting, it feels like a groundswell of support for a lot of, uh, yeah. of injustices. What has, what has the last five years, uh, do you feel that? And, and, and what has the, the, the last handful of years, um, been like for the work that you do? How has it supported it or has it supported it? And, and I think especially right now over the past, you know, in 2020, it seems like it, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we'll look back on this and say that this was the spear, like the tip of the spear when things started to like really shift. Maybe it, maybe it continues on and that happens in somewhere down the line. Um, but where do you, what do you see the work that you do and how it fits into the sort of like the social narratives that have, that have emerged over the last few years? Well, in 2016, the most important thing happened, which was that the kids won the case, right, against the Canadian government. And the Canadian government was ordered to stop its racial discrimination against First Nations kids. Um, and by implementing something called Jordan's Principle, named in memory of Jordan River Anderson, which is to ensure that First Nations kids get the help they need when they need it, free of any discrimination because they're First Nations. And the, all the kids, the First Nations and the non-Indigenous kids, when they heard the ruling, the first thing they wanted to do was have a party. <laughs> they wanted to honor all of the children in residential schools, the 60s scoop, and the children who had suffered these inequalities. And they wanted to let them know that they weren't alone anymore. So I left the planning, party planning to the kids, and the kids picked out the location, which is right inside of Parliament. So we actually had the party inside of Parliament, which is perfect. And the kids said there, you know, change isn't in a decision. We have to continue to write letters. So I, we've seen that happen. And 
through ongoing litigation, and by the way, a huge shout out to our legal teams, uh, uh, the Assembly of First Nations, Canadian Human Rights Commission, the Caring Society, um, the Anishinaabe Asking Nation, and Amnesty International, all litigating against Canada. Uh, First Nations Kids Today are getting over $3 billion worth of services more than what they received in the past, but that's still not equitable. So when you talk about how the change is coming along, it's kind of twofold for me. One is this really inspiring uh, movement of kids who can see this injustice and don't make excuses for it, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like what you were saying, Jeremy, like there is no excuse for it, right? It's kind of like, what? (laughs) Um, And number two, uh, litigation works, right? Sometimes we can't wait for governments to make the right decision. We have to hold them accountable for breaking their own laws mm-hmm. because they're breaking childhoods if we let them go continue on with their bad behavior. And uh, we can't let that happen. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been inspired too. Like I use social media a lot. I'm a lot on Twitter. Spirit Bear, who's our ambarrister for the kids, he's on Twitter, at Spirit Bear. You can follow him along. <laughs> and um, I also follow great activists all over the world. Like I learned tons from just following people. I do mm-hmm. not follow Donald Trump. I refuse to follow that crazy. Uh, the day he got into the White House is the day I unfollowed the White House. But I'm hoping on January 20th at 12 p.m. I'll be able to follow the White House again. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> I'm right back. That's yeah. Dewey. Uh, Cindy, you know, it's, it's really funny that you started this uh, this episode with saying how you avoided public speaking as a, as a youngster. Um, yeah. And uh, yet you, you, you are, you are such a lovely speaker and, um, it's been, it's been so nice to hear you talk about all the important work that you've done and that you continue to do. Um, and, and considering that you're, you're such a good speaker there, there, before we wrap, there's one, one last thing that I would, that I, I feel pretty curious about asking you what your thoughts are, um, you know, since since Trudeau um, has has come into the position that he is currently in, um, reconciliation has been a, a big talking point, um, and there's obviously so 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 much work that needs to be done in this country. Um, so, from your own words, I'm really uh, curious to know what does reconcili- reconciliation look like to you? Reconciliation to me is a verb first of all. And its impact is measured at the level of children and families in the First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities. Um, And I see two things that need to be done. One is get rid of that Indian Act and implement the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, number one. Number two, implement something called the Spirit Bear Plan, which says, let's end all these inequalities for kids. We can do it. Look, you know, guys, They're spraying money everywhere with COVID. I didn't even know they had this much cash, right? But they do. (laughs) And that tells me it was always possible to stop this nonsense. So they they can cost out all the inequalities from water for that young boy in northern Ontario to a good education for kids, good safe place spaces, language programs, everything. And then let's create a Marshall Plan to end the inequality. And if the government rolls out the old complex narrative, 
then we need to remind them that when they were negotiating a trade agreement with that nutcase in the White House, never yes. once did we hear complicated as an excuse. It's too hard for us. We're going to throw up our arms. It might take us 153 years to complete this trade agreement. No, they marshaled all the resources of government. They got the job done. And these kids are worth that same kind of effort. And uh, just mm. a huge shout out to you guys to kind of bring in the kids' story to your listeners. And to your listeners, you can find seven free ways where you can get busy and help First Nations kids that are COVID safe right on our website, fncaringsociety.com. And you can make a difference to, and be part of the movement to end these inequalities and make it a better world for all kids in Canada. Cindy, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. Mm-hmm. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Well, there you go. That was our conversation with Dr. Cindy Blackstock. And, uh, and God, what a, what a, just a joyful human being doing, Mm -hmm. like doing really tough work. Um, but coming at it with such a, like such a blinding positive ray of light. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and one of the things that we did touch on in that briefly in that, um, conversation was Cindy was referring to, a video of um, a young, a, a young indigenous fellow here in Canada who was, um, who was basically making a plea for for the fact that, uh, you know that that they don't have, uh, they're they're still under a boil advisory. Um, we actually we we were able to track down that clip, and I just wanted to play it here. This is a, this is not feel good on a feel good Friday. This is this is feel. Uh, really feel really, real Friday. Feel real Friday, but here we go. We're not animals. We're not things. We're human, just like you guys. We we need your help. Oh, dude, my heart. Mm. Fuck. Yeah, that'll do it. <clears throat> yeah, that'll do it. You know, and like you know, <clears throat> we're we're it's twenty. It's fucking twenty twenty one in like a week and a bit or a couple weeks, and we, the you know. It's I, I like I, more and more and more we're, we're reminded that like as as much as there is lots of good to say about our country and the state of our country, like there is so much fucking work to be done. And and it's easy to forget that, I think, sometimes, <clears throat> especially when south of our border, it like just looks like such a fucking blatant like absolute shit show. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and it's just like, it's, it, it's, it's when it's the things that it's things like that, where you go, where you think might not be that surprising when you see it happening in, not that it's okay, but that when it happens elsewhere in another country, mm-hmm. that's not yours, mm-hmm. that you, that you feel is, you know, developed and progressive and, 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 you know, like, relatively cutting edge and and then and then you realize that that shit's happening on your doorstep and you mm-hmm. yeah it's sobering yeah and it's funny when when we first when i first heard about cindy blackstock i i i wondered like how she could maintain the energy that she has maintained mm-hmm. over the years fighting yeah. for the causes that she has and especially coming up against a lot of walls and having to fight so hard to tear them down but then when i see and hear a video like that 
I'm like, fuck, how much more fuel do you need than mm-hmm. that to do the work that Dr. Black sucks doing? It's, you know, not surprising why she cares so much and why we should all care so much mm-hmm. about these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Super lucky to have, uh, to have talked with her and, and I guess like another, we've been really, you know, and, and, and really like a big kudos to you, Lauren, who has, who, who has helped us a lot since, um, since the spring to, um, to get us <clears throat> talking to, you know, so many great people in the black and indig- indigenous communities and, and, uh, and, uh, and helping us spread the word on some of the shit that gets swept under the rug far too often. Mm-hmm. So that's been really, uh, that's been a really great, um, that's been a really, really incredible shift in, in the show and what we're doing over the last, uh, over the last several months. So and well, thank I'm you, really Taylor. I really appreciate you saying yeah. that. And I would just like to say uh, thank you to Sarah, um, Cindy's assistant at the first nations, uh, um, uh, child and family caring society for helping me find that. Cause I was having Ooh. trouble and she really mm. helped me. <laughs> and on that note, uh, here is, here is to 2021 where we are looking forward to having many, many more of these important and eye opening and fun conversations um, uh, the next two feel good Fridays are going to be, uh, just re-releases. So we will not be with you, uh, to keep you up to date with what is happening in the happenings, uh, until the new year. So we hope you enjoy our, our re-releases. I picked out, uh, two really fun ones that I, that I think you're really going to enjoy. Um, so we're excited about that. And, uh, and Hey folks, happy holidays, whatever you're celebrating. Hope mm-hmm. it's great. Uh, we, we are, we are with you in spirit and keep wearing your masks. Uh, don't yep. yell at your employees. And uh, and just be, you know, be jolly and be kind. We're yeah. almost to the end of 2020. And you know what? We're not here to give you that news, but like there's all there's so many great, credible news outlets out there. I mean, you can always be checking in with Fox News, One American News okay. Network. Um, uh, and, all right. Going to cut in here and just yeah. say, uh, in, if you... InfoWars. Yeah, right. Yeah, InfoWars, Alex Jones, <laughs> Alex Jones is out there spreading the good word. Yeah, so make sure, that, that. make sure that you catch up with those guys. And, and uh, uh, yeah, if you did like good, what you heard... Good news. Hey, what do you, why are you doing nope. that? Why are you cutting nope, me off? No, nope. <laughs> if, you, if you liked what you heard today, uh, you can continue to listen uh, as a always we're coming at you Mondays and Fridays. You can listen anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the CBC Listen app. And if you have great stories, there's a lot of amazing storytellers out there. Let us know who you are. Send your stories, letters at sickboypodcast.com. If you want to be another amazing guest and a guest like Cindy, killer guest, sickboypodcast.com slash contact. Fill out the form. We'll read it. Yeah, we, we will be on the show one day. We will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and Hey, we love you. We love all of you, but most of all, we, I mean, I, uh, am really loving and thankful for the co-host and co-producer of the show, Lauren Sankey and Lauren, I just want to say really appreciate you really, really appreciate your parents for making you. So, um, <laughs> when you see them, just I'll say tell them that we say thanks because we're very grateful for you know, them going through the whole act of creating mm. you mm. and this is what conceiving for sure. And, <laughs> and yeah, we're just really grateful for that. And uh, Taylor and Jeremy, super glad that your parents also made you. And that's um, actually very sweet. If you could think back, mm-hmm. I think it would be really, um, it would be really nice 
a ne- nice exercise if you guys thought about the moment where they actually made you and just appreciated that. Yeah. And all the beauty. Moment. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and just really, you know, just sort of meditated on that. I, okay, we don't and, sex, we don't sex shame here. Yeah, no, no I, I've no, meditated no. on that, uh, that moment many a time. And I am very glad that my parents both chose to, I'm assuming, That's what I'm, you call it? I'm assuming, Meditation? I'm, I'm, assu- I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming take all of their clothes off and, uh, and smash their bodies into each other very aggressively <laughs> until, <laughs> until I popped out and went into and came into the world. So, uh, so <laughs> thanks mom and dad. Oh, That's great. really cool that you guys did that. Really cool. Perfect. <laughs> voice is starting to tremble. And uh, thank you to Jeff Lonis, who manages this show. And uh, thanks to the Feel Good Friday folks that bring the show together, uh, which would be Jeremy Saunders for the editing and sound design and Rich O'Coin for the theme music. Bada boom, bada bing. That is it for this year. I am Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.